Take your Bible and turn with me. We're going to continue in this series that we have gotten started in, uh, Rooted. Rooted, based on a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae from prison. Uh, turn to chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 15 as you're turning there. I'm reminded as we uh, this week will remember the life and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, and there's a lot of just different things going on in our community. Uh, many of the staff and myself, we're going to go to Lake Michigan College in the morning. Uh, there's a breakfast there that uh, just celebrates and honors uh, Dr. King's life. Uh, but I'm reminded of a letter that he wrote to the church, a letter from the Birmingham jail in 1963. And I would just, uh, as we think about uh, his life, and we remember, and so there's a lot of a lot of things that we still uh, that he has to teach us, even in our generation today. We're not there yet, and so there's a lot of great truth in some of the things that he wrote. He he said this, and let me from in that impactful letter he wrote, uh, just one little blurb. So the question is not whether we are extremists, but what kind of extremist we will be. Will we be extremists for hate or for love? Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice? or for the extension of justice. Again, he was writing to the church. He's writing things that remind me of the teaching of Jesus, where Jesus taught us to love, taught us to fight for justice, uh, taught us to, to love one another as we love ourselves, which is big. Taught us that, that, that when we find someone in that story of the Good Samaritan, when we find someone in the ditch, that as religious people, we don't walk along the side of the ditch, we don't ignore the people in the ditch, but we get in the ditch and we help lift them out of the ditch as we help them. And we, as Jesus taught us, whenever we've done it unto the least of these, we've done it unto him. So we're aware of what's going on in our world. We love people in our world. And those that are beaten and marginalized and left for dead, we care about. As we, again, I would just uh, invite you to join me in rereading that letter from the Birmingham jail. You can Google that. You can get it. You can find a free copy. As you do that, I would encourage you to look at the context as well. And what, why was he in jail? What was going on in Birmingham during that 1963 time? What was going on? Again, I think that there's some still, still some things for us to learn as the church in those writings from prison or from jail. Again, as we go back to our story, what we're going to look at today, Paul was writing from jail. And he's writing again to the church at Colossae. Listen to this foundational verse that is the foundation for this series that we're in. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. We read it last week. Let me read it for us again. Let your roots grow down deep into him. And yet let your lives be built on him. That's the prayer. That our roots would go down to him. That we would build this foundation. Crystal, uh, our subject pastor, often says, we've heard her say probably, we spend time with Jesus, getting to know Jesus, so that we can be like Jesus. That's 2023. That's what we want, we want to accomplish. Uh, spending time with Jesus, getting to know Jesus, so that we can be like Jesus. As we start the new year, what a goal that would be. That we put our roots down deep. That we build a foundation on Christ. And so, as we think about what Paul was writing, he's writing in this letter, this epistle, to encourage the church. We wrote the, or read those first 14 verses where he's encouraging them. He's talking about what he's praying for them. He's giving them greetings. There were some things going on in the church that he would address. He starts out with this greeting. And the things that he was addressing were some, some false teachings that had begun to infiltrate the church. We're going to get to that, and we'll see what he has to say about that. Scholars believe that there were troubling heretical teachings that had begun to permeate the church that had the potential to diminish the significance of Jesus. Scholars are divided as to the exact nature of what the heresy was, but the problem, uh, you, you think about just basically, as we say here, to put the cookies on the bottom shelf, 
pretty much what was going on was what, what the heresy that had come in was potentially going to lessen the significance of Christ's saving work. Heresy that was limiting the divinity of Jesus. The heresy was basically, oh yeah, he's a great teacher, but. Anybody that says Jesus is a great person and there's a but after that, watch out. And so they were, there were some buts in, in some of the, what they were believing. But he's not fully God, but he's just a part of what you need to find eternal life. And in these verses that we're going to look at, Paul gives a full frontal assault on the idea that anything should limit Jesus. Paul lets us know under no uncertain terms what he thinks about Jesus and who Jesus should mean or what he means or should mean to us, for us. And so these these verses, is one author I read this week, he said this about, about these verses that we're going to read. They're all about the soul-stirring supremacy of Jesus. Went on to say in that writing, Colossians is all about the glory, supremacy, and preeminence of exalted Jesus and the jaw-dropping wonder in the truth that we are being remade in his image. I love that. I, I've shared with you before, just a reminder of an article uh, where they're talking about what federal agents do to learn, uh, what the training they have to learn to spot counterfeit money. And they don't, as they're trained, they don't start with uh, learning all about counterfeiters and, uh, and, and looking at all the counterfeit money and all the, all the things that, where they miss the mark or whatever and all the difference. What they, where they start is, and they know some of that, of course, but where they start is getting to know actual uh, the actual thing, the actual legal tender. What, what, does, what, does, what, what, what does money look like and feel like in your hands? What, 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 what is it? The real thing is where they start. Paul, as he's trying to combat the heresies of his day, doesn't start with all the errors and what is, uh, is wrong, but where he starts is helping them see the real thing. And today, we want to see the real thing. We want to just talk about Jesus and, and celebrate Jesus and think about who he is. What did, what did we say earlier? What was that writer? The glory, the supremacy, the preeminence of exalted Jesus, the jaw-dropping wonder that, that, that we are being conformed into his image to be like him. So today, the goal would be to stare, to look at, to focus on, to be gobsmacked by the amazing king. King Jesus. To that end, let's start with verse 15 of, ver of chapter 1. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything, anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Paul starts in this section saying that he is the visible image of an invisible God. So if you want to get to know God, you look at Jesus. If you want to understand God, you seek to understand Jesus, one of the disciples toward the end of Jesus' ministry, uh, says, well, how, how can we know God? And Jesus, like, what have you been doing these last few years? <laughs> that's, that's what I've been training, and that's the, was the 101 class, and here we are, it's gra almost graduation day. If you, if you want to know the Father, just look at me, is basically what he says back to them. Is Paul, and Paul, that's what Paul is saying here. Do you want to know God? 
Well, you need to know Jesus. You need to look at Jesus. And the word that is used here that we see translated is not just that Jesus is similar to God, not just that, that, that he is a picture of God, not just that he's the reflection of God. What Paul is saying is that Jesus is God. He is the image, the visible image of the invisible God. He goes on to say he existed where anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Some of your translations say, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. There's some cults out there that use this, this verse right here, and they would say, see, Jesus was, was a created being. He's, not, he's, a, he's lesser than God. He's not, he's not equal to God. He's less than God. And they would, the cults would misinterpret that, this, this verse concluding that he was created, but that's not what the original language means. Not that he was, he wasn't, it's not, he's not, they're not, it's, Paul's not saying chronologically he's the firstborn. What he's saying is in rank he's firstborn. Jesus was there at the foundation of the earth. He was there before anything else. Genesis 1, 26 uh, says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. At creation, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And what does, what does Paul go on to say? Through him, God created everything in the heavenly realm and on the earth. He made it all. The things that we see, the things we can't see, the things that are in us and above us and below us and all around us, the things we can see, we can't see, Jesus created it all. Let's just camp out for a second and just pask in the reality that Jesus, created it all. The complexities of this universe, the cosmos, it, that Jesus is, is in on that, that he created it, this universe, this world. I look around and I see some brilliant people. Some of you do some really cool things at the jobs where you work. Some of you have a lot of letters before your name and after your name. Some of you, some of you have I understand patents and, and you, you know, registered at the, you know, you, you created things that are really super cool. You build, uh, uh, if you work at Whirlpool and subsidiaries or whatever, you, you create these things, these intricate, complex pieces of machinery that just are, for, for then normal people like me, I have no idea how all of that happens. You understand it. Some of you, I look, I know that a number of you too work at Leco. I didn't know what they actually make. You guys actually, people actually make at Leco. I looked it up. This is what Wiki said about, I, I wrote it down. This is what Leco does. Leco, some of you work there, uh, Leco develops and manufactures elemental measurement and molecular time of flight mass spectrometer instrumentation. Elemental and thermal analysis equipment, mass spectrometers, optical equipment, and consumables. I get that last thing. You guys make snacks. <laughs> Super cool. So you're over there making Twinkies. I get that. I understand what consumables is. So that's pretty cool. I didn't realize you had a snack division over at Lico. That's nice. Um, but even with all of the cool stuff and, and, the, and the wisdom and the intellect and the brilliance that is, that is, that is a part of, of First Church and the First Church family, and there's others of you that work at making robotics and all these really super awesome, intricate things, it, it, even with all, again, all the letters in front of your name and behind your name and all the degrees you have, you really, and all you create is nothing compared to the cosmos, the, 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 the world that we live in and the intricacies 
of what Jesus did. To get a glimpse, a fresh glimpse of Jesus. And the power and the creativity of Jesus. The brilliance of Jesus. Verse 17 says, And he existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. It reminded me of an illustration that we've used in the past. Maybe you've probably even heard Louis Giglio talk about a conversation that he had with a molecular scientist after he had preached one time. This molecular scientist came up and he said, uh, Louis, have you heard about, Louis is a preacher, have you heard about laminin? Do you know what laminin is? He said, Louis replied back, I don't even know how to spell that. <laughs> no, I have no idea what that is. Can you tell me what it is? And he says, well, laminin is a cell adhesion molecule. Now, how many of you are getting excited about hearing about a cell adhesion molecule? He goes on, okay, not so much, okay? So let me, let me, let's go a little deeper. A cell adhesion molecule. So all the different cells uh, in our bodies, because this guy went on to explain this to Luke Giglio, all the, the, the DNA code, all the different things, need something to hold it together, and it's held together by laminin, what, what scientists call laminin. Laminin is, has been described for, in layman's terms, and I get this, is the rebar of the body. Rebar, you know what rebar is? Rebar is a steel that you that is, is kind of held together, and then concrete is poured uh, through and in that rebar, and the rebar is the thing that gives the concrete the strength. And rebar, again, you think about laminate, is the rebar of the body. It's a cell adhesion molecule, again, that holds it all together, holds us together. Let me give you a picture of a laminate under a high-powered microscope. Here's what laminate looks like. Now, remember, it's a, it's a molecular thing, so it's a little squiggly, but what does that look like? Looks like a cross. Here's, a, here's, an, actual, um, here's an actual picture from not a theological textbook, but a science, um, uh, science journal. Here is laminin. Uh, scientists have drawn it this way. This is what laminin is. Laminin is the cell adhesion molecule, the thing that holds, holds the cells together holds us together on a molecular level. And I have said any number of times, even before I heard about laminin for the last 30 years, if you look through a microscope or you look through a telescope, both express and show us the glory of God. And so what this is, it's just a fingerprint that, that even on a molecular level, there's these, there's these little Easter eggs, there's these little, these little God wings, some of you might call it, these little places that if you're paying attention and you're, no, no matter where it's at, there are places that just give us the fingerprints that there is, a, there is someone beyond us that created this, that, it, that, we, that God created the cosmos. It wasn't, it's not out of chaos that we came, but, but Jesus created everything that is. In verse, what's the second part of verse 17 say? And he holds all creation together. Jesus is the rebar of the world. He goes, he goes on. Paul does in verse 18. And he says, Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. And he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Not only is Christ king of the cosmos, which if you look that definition up, the cosmos is the orderly, harmonious, systematic universe. And that is what our world is, this finely tuned 
universe. And verse 18 reminds us that he is head of that. He is head of the universe, what we've been saying before, but then here in verse 18, sorry, that he is head of the church, that he's the king of the church, and, and we are the body, and he's the head. Paul would describe that in other places in Scripture. It's a beautiful metaphor that the, the church is a body, and that there are, there are individual giftedness and roles and purposes that we have and uniquenesses, and there's hands and some of us are feet and arms and, and individual body parts, and, and all that together we make up the, we make up the body of the, of the church. And even though I'm the lead pastor of the church, Christ is head of the church. And a body without a head is what? Is dead. There can be no life. You have to have a head. This past week, as we shared at the very beginning, the staff went away and we talked and we dreamed together and we talked about strategy and vision and all those things. We got on our knees and we prayed. And the very last thing that I said to the staff is, all these ideas, all these dreams, all these visions, all these things that we, that we could do, one of the last things I said, to, it doesn't matter if Christ, the head of the church, tells us to scrap it all and we need to do something different. That's what we're going to do because I'm not in charge. He's in charge. He, as Scripture says, is head of the church. And we're the body. And goes on to say that he is in verse, second part of verse 18, he is the beginning, the supreme over all who rise from the dead. Some of your translations again translate that phrase, he's the firstborn among the dead. And again, it's not chronologically, but it's in rank. Because Jesus wasn't the first one to rise from the dead. He, he Lazarus raised up at the, at the word of Jesus from the dead. He did that. So he, Jesus wasn't the firstborn in that chronological sense, but in rank. Jesus is first. And the really cool thing is he's coming again as a result of him coming again, that we will rise as well. If we have died before the Lord comes back, we will enjoy the resurrection as well. We will be resurrected. And so he is preeminent. He is supreme. He is the firstborn in rank over us because he is head of the church and we are just the body. Verse 20 says, through Christ, he has reconciled everything to himself. And that's the message of the church. That Jesus is the reconciler. He's the king that he makes it all possible it's not our work. It's nothing that we do on our own, but it's Jesus who's the reconciler. I love what he says at the end of verse 20. He has made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. Jesus did it. Our king did it. Makes peace with God possible. And when we have the peace, peace, when we have peace with God, then as we often say, we can have the peace of God. So as the junk and the things of this world, if we are at peace with God, then we can have the peace of God. And how does it happen? Look at verse 20. Paul makes it clear, by means of Christ's blood on the cross. I love that old hymn. Many of you know it. There's power in the blood. There's power in the wonder-working blood of the Lamb. Would you be free, free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Would you or evil of victory win? There's power in the wonderful blood of the Lamb. And so Jesus, he's our king. He's the king of the cosmos. He's the king of the church. He's the king who died to make us, or to make a way for us to be reconciled to God. There's power in the wonder-working blood of the Lamb. And then let's conclude those final couple of verses there. Verse 21, this includes you who were once far away from God. Let's think about where we were before Christ. 
Anybody want to you know, think about that for a moment? Where were you before Christ? You were his enemies. He describes it. Separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he's brought you into his presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you've received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. So he begins there, and he begins, he just, just is wanting to remind them, hey, this is the way you once were, you who were far away from God. And when you were far away from God, what does he say? He says you were far away, you were his enemies. You were separated from him because of your sin, your evil thoughts, your actions, your sin. And then I love what he says in verse 22, yet. That's a great word, yet. There's all this issue and all this problem, and, and here's where you were, yet. Some of your, your translations you're looking at say, but. But is anyone thankful that there is a yet in all of our junk and all of our past and all of our stuff that God made a way, Yet. Yet he, verse 22, reconciled us to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And so Paul has been talking about that Jesus, he created everything. Everything is created through him, that he was there at the beginning, that he is eternal, that he is fully God. And now he talks to us about he's fully man. Through the death of Christ in his physical body, Jesus did it. And the result is, and I love the result, the power of the Holy Spirit alive in us, the God working through us. The result is he has brought you into his presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Again, not as a result of us, but a result of what Christ did on the cross on our behalf. We can stand before God forgiven and blameless and faultless all because of him. As we put our faith in Christ, as we live for Christ, it's a wonderful picture that we're able to stand before God, because of the work of Jesus, our Savior on the cross. And what is verse 23? But we must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly. Don't drift away, he says, from the assurance you received when you first heard the good news. Anybody here and you've drifted a little bit? Anybody here, you kind of struggled in, this, in 2022, maybe with standing firm? And Paul's just calling us back, calling us home. Come back. If you've drifted away, come back. We could sum it up this way. Right knowing about Jesus leads to right worship of Jesus and right obedience to Jesus. And that's how Paul concludes. Paul concludes that, hey, we're all part of this team. We've been called to proclaim this message that, that about, about Christ to our world. And he has the, he gives us the privilege of, we have the privilege, Jesus does, of, of being involved in that. The scripture is a powerful reminder of Jesus, our King, and who He is. And so today we recognize as we read what Paul has to say that Christ is King over the cosmos. That Christ is King over the church, over us. And my question for us as we conclude today as our worship team comes back up, is Christ your King? Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 talks about there will come a day and on that day when Christ returns, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you haven't done that yet, 
I just want to encourage you to do that today. Will you declare Christ as your king? Will you, as Paul says here, bow your knee and declare your allegiance to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? We want to give you that opportunity today. Uh, We say this a lot, but if you'd like to put your faith in Christ today, if you're making that decision, we'd love to help you with that. You could text the word Jesus to 269-231-8692. Again, 269-231-8692. We'd love to send you some resources What we'd really love, too, is to have a personal conversation with you. So I'll be hanging out afterwards. If you would like to or if you have today, maybe come home. You've drifted away and you're coming home. I'd love to have that conversation. I'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to have that personal walk with Christ. As we, we're going to conclude with a little longer time of praise and worship. And boy, do we need that, all of us. As we think about just spending some time with the Lord, I want to share with you something as we think about he is king over the cosmos. He's king over the church. There's something that um, S.M. Lockridge did years ago, a spoken word called, That's My King. And I wanted to share his words with you as we celebrate Jesus as our King. So I wonder if you know him. Do you know my King? The Bible says he's the King of the Jews. He's the King of Israel. He's the King of righteousness. He's the King of the ages. He's the King of heaven. He's the King of glory. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Now that's my King. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. He is enduringly strong. He is imperially uh, steadfast. He is immortally great, graceful. He is imperially powerful. He is impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of salvation and civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's preeminent. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the fundamental doctrine of theology. He is the miracle of the age. He is superlative of everything good. He is the one and only supply of all our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He is available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes with those that are yet to be saved. He heals the sick. He cleanses the leper. He forgives sinners. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Do you know my king? My king is the key of knowledge. He is the wellspring of wisdom. He is the doorway of deliverance. He is the gateway of glory. He's the pathway of peace. He is the roadway of righteousness. He is the highway of holiness. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He is incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you that heavens can't contain him, let alone man explain him. Uh, You can't get him out of your mind. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stop him. They couldn't stand him. They couldn't uh, couldn't do anything with him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses 
Moses couldn't give their testimony to agree, and Herod couldn't kill him, and death couldn't handle him, and the grave can't hold him. That's my king. Is he your king today? Let's stand and let's worship the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is here and everywhere and is coming again to take us to be with him. Let's worship the King. Amen. Let's worship him.